definitely want to be like careful about what tours we do and all of that. Um, and yeah, we've done a couple that no one got COVID on. So, you know, knock on wood, but um, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to get out there and we have plans in the works. So, so you did tour at some point during the pandemic. Yeah, we did a little like a West coast run in April and have been up and down the West coast more or less like a, just like a couple times since, yeah, like 2021, 20, I think. Yeah. There's this weird thing about releasing an album at any point in the last two years where yeah, you know, it's this thing that you've been working on for a long time. And it's like, it's impossible for that release week not to feel maybe like a little anticlimactic because there's like, yeah, again, there's like a finite number of things that you can actually do around it. Totally. Yeah, I know. I I I feel like I knew deep down there was going to be like there's going to be something that lines up with the release date, you know, and it's, it seems. Yeah, there's like this, you know, this new surge, although I think people are pretty down to come out still and just be, I guess, as cautious as we can. But yeah, there's. It's definitely different now. <laughs> There's kind of never not a search of some kind. In this right. Point. It seems like exactly you, you either tour the, in the next two years or, or you don't. Those are basically the options at this point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And uh, we're going to do it for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, just kind of a matter of when. Is this a pandemic record? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it definitely is kind of a it's a label for sure. You know, so you like, I, I, I hope it doesn't change how people listen to it. But if any, if for us, it was just like during that time when we, no one was really allowed to do anything. And so we were just kind of like, let's just, you know, create our own little bubble between the four of us and start rehearsing and go into a studio. What does it mean for you to be a pandemic record? I mean, you know, beyond just obviously the timing of it, are there themes that kind of bleed in? Oh, uh, kind of. I mean, yeah, I, I, um, I, I think one thing was I also got really back into um, landscape painting, which was kind of like a bigger part of my life, and like around ten years ago, actually. And um, but now I'm like kind of back into it because it sort of became clear to that it was like the perfect uh, sort of pandemic activity because you're outside alone away from people by design. So sort of it's like a great meditative kind of uh, activity. And I think that spawned a lot of like, not that the record was like born from that, but I think it, was kind of like that vibe of like just being outside and trying to focus on the things I love and like not get swept away too much. Although I wasn't necessarily, you know, trying to be ignorant of everything going on, but yeah. You were actually like that guy standing outside with the easel and painting landscape. Yeah. I got this really, it's kind of slick though. It's like this little wooden, like box that's kind of like a flat rectangle and it hooks up to a tripod and it's pretty sleek. Like you can just put it in your backpack, but you can like, it opens up and the top part holds like the panel 
the, the painting and then the bottom tray is like you mix the paints and stuff so it's like a very easy you can just take it on a hike and like find a little secluded area and then like set up and like make a little painting and just spend all day basically outside um and uh yeah so i i don't know if that I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of people paint different things in different ways, but it's really this really kind of classical version of it where, I don't know, for me, it, it seems like the kind of thing that I see people doing in like TV shows, but I can't remember the last time I actually saw somebody standing outside with an easel. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely like not um, on the cutting edge of like the arts or anything, you know? Um, so, but I think I really like that about it. And um yeah, it's like, I feel no pressure to make anything that's going to be like on the frontier of like what's going on in the art world or anything. Like, I think it's just kind of like a great way to like be in the world and like look at something and just really study it and like be a part of it and interact with it. Do you feel that sense of obligation to be, you know, as you said, on the cutting edge when it comes to music? I think, I think maybe that, yeah, maybe that is why I said that. I don't know. Might be more of a subconscious thing or something. It sounds like it was like, oh, this, this, this other thing that I'm doing is kind of relieves the pressure from, you know, yeah, the thing. I think that's probably true. Cause like with the music, I think we do try to, yeah, like push it. And I think I, I do that in my painting as well. I try to always be like trying new stuff and, things that I'm excited by or inspired by, I try to like co-op that into my own thing. But yeah, with music, there's a lot of like, I also think with music, there's a lot of um, time spent not making music, but it's still part of doing music um, where you're kind of like, you know, the mixing, mastering, pitching it around or, you know, getting all the other stuff made and doing interviews, doing interviews. Exactly. Which I mean, not to say I dislike it at all, but it's just like, it's not the reason anyone gets into making music. Yeah. Although I do think it's important to understand the people behind the things that you make. Um, and I think it enhances your understanding. Sure. But like when you're a kid and you're like, one day I'm going to make a record. <laughs> you're, it's not like, Hey, one day somebody's going to interview me on a podcast about it. Yeah. I guess not, but, you know. <laughs> Are you saying that there aren't the same kinds of trappings around painting? I think there probably are, but I'm just, like, not in that world, really. Um, though I have thought about, you know, trying to, like, get more into, like, the the gallery scene or whatever. Um, you know, I for me, it's just something that I really enjoy doing, and it's... Uh, and music is the same way, but, um, yeah, it feels like a, a quick, like I'm just like instantly transported once I'm like outside painting something and just like, you're so in the moment, you know, painting in particular, and I guess fine art in general is such an interesting thing. Certainly there are things that I appreciate and I go to galleries and there are certain painters and paintings that I appreciate more than others, but I, I would have so much difficulty kind of quantifying what makes something good. Yeah, totally. I do too. <laughs> it's like, it's so, you know, there's a, 
Yeah, I don't know what makes art good. I guess if it feels true or something. That sounds kind of pretentious to say, though, because it's like, who's to say what is, you know, true or not true to any one person? And it's interesting, too, how you have to have, like, in any art form, you have to have really um, sort of strong opinions about subjective things. Because if you don't, then you sort of get pulled around by other people that just have stronger opinions than you. And they, you know, it's like, no, you shouldn't compress drums that way. You have to compress them this way. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess that's how I have to do it. Unless, or whereas the opposite is like, you know what? Screw you. Like, this is how I like my drums. And are you and that kind of thing? And so, yeah, I don't know. I guess if something just, if it resonates with you, then that's a, that's a good sign. Or maybe that's like the sign. I, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the, the. I don't know if it's an idiom or what you call it, but the phrase that like, if it sounds good, then it is good. Where it's kind of like, it, you know, you can study chord relationships and note relationships and all of that is a very useful tool. But like, just because you have knowledge about that or how how to mix colors and what colors go together and what compositions work best and that kind of thing. Those are certainly valuable things to know, but um, those are like, I've heard it said that those are descriptive rather than prescriptive for what good art is. And ultimately the good art is like the thing from which all those flow from. It's not because there's these like, agreed upon rules of like a good painting has this, this, and this, or a good song has these, you know, the Holy Trinity of whatever it is. It's like, if it sounds good, it is good. And then you can like dissect it from there and try to figure out what makes it good. Well, I'm going to answer your cliche with another cliche, you know, which, and (laughs) and this is something that I hear particularly in reference to fine art, but I, you know, I, it obviously applies to music as well, but the, but the idea of learning the fundamentals so that you can break them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's true that I don't, you can't break the rules as effectively if you don't understand why they're kind of there in the first place. So yeah, I, I, uh, I think that is for sure. Like the, the horse, which comes before the cart of whatever I said a few seconds ago. Like, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, no, I I do think that is true because you kind of like, there's a certain point where your artistic or musical vocabulary is so limited that you just need like, you know, you need to figure out like a few more words and then you can start putting together some really cool stuff. But like, yeah, you kind of, there's a sort of that threshold. It's hard to like know how far is too far though. Sometimes every once in a while you land on like a really, a really great piece of outsider art, but you know, whether, whether it's, whether it's again, whether it's painting or like, or the Ramones, you know, exactly. where, where, yeah. where it's just like, for whatever reason, it just, it hits the zeitgeist just right. And it resonates. Yeah, Totally. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you're learning those like fundamental things, it's very satisfying and very exciting. And you're like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm learning this, you know, this is awesome. I can totally do it. But then like, yeah, I don't know. You, 
there's yeah i guess it's kind of like if uh if you have three chords and you can write a ramones song and you're the ramones and like and i don't know um sort of losing the train here but i think you know i'm takes confidence i think i don't know it, there's like a certain i think it's kind of like what i was saying earlier too like about like sort of having strong opinions about subjective things because like i i feel i feel empowered or i don't know i think i feel more empowered than ever to like finally try to make especially after doing this record to try to maybe do another one or the next one, like fully by ourselves. Um, which I know might be kind of like a weird thing to say, but I think this is sort of like a different part of my, I don't know, brain speaking or something, but like my relationship in goon in terms of learning how to record and all of that, it's been this kind of journey of learning how to do things, doing them bad. And then like learning the proper way how to do things. But then like, not kind of fully liking it that way, like still having like a weird preference towards some of the character that was in the quote unquote bad improperly done sort of things. And so, yeah, it's kind of like now I feel equipped to break the rules even better sort of, or I don't know. Hopefully that doesn't sound, or hopefully that makes sense. (laughs) Not to put like a super fine, point on it but it sounds to me like you're describing the jump from the first record to the second record into the third record where if my understanding yeah. is correct like the first record really was kind of a collection of home recordings yeah yeah that first record i think is kind of the yeah it's perfectly sort of encapsulates that that um exact thing where you know we really wanted to do a full band big record and have it be you know more hi-fi than the two eps that had previously come out and so there would but despite wanting that we didn't have the money or any idea of how to like do it ourselves but we still tried to and it kind of was like we mixed it once And then we actually ended up mixing it again with our friend Max. And that's the final mix. And uh, yeah, it was like, you know, it, it was a learning experience for sure. And uh, yeah, so I have like kind of a funny relationship, I guess, with that record. When you say we, where in the timeline does Goon become a proper band? Yeah, well, I do think we were, we were still, we were a band at that point. But it was like, yeah, so that at that point, it was me and Caleb was on bass, Drew was on guitar, and Christian was on drums. And it was the four of us, and we were, you know, playing shows, but like largely recording sort of like, you know, a lot of overdubs, and I would like fully record some tracks, and then they would get, they would like overdub on certain parts and stuff, and it, so... And it wasn't like I was trying to like shut them out of the process or anything. It was just sort of like we were just kind of doing it as we went. And I kind of, you know, at that point I would write a lot while recording, which is kind of something I try to do less now. So yeah, we were, there was the four of us. And then over time, you know, 
Christian had a kid and decided he like, it was all very amicable for all three of them, but they basically all kind of like moved on and I kept going. And that's sort of the simplified version of it, I guess. But over the, along the way we uh, picked up Andy now on drums and then Dylan, who is now on guitar and then Tamara on bass. And so, um, and then in the middle of all of that, we got dropped by our label and it was sort of like the closing of chapter one. And now this feels sort of like chapter two. Um, so did getting dropped by the label, I mean, was there any point where that felt like the end? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it was like, you know, getting signed to them was like up till that point, the most exciting thing that had happened to us as a band. And then to have it just like slowly and sadly fizzle out over like, the course of a year or two and then, you know, just sort of like ended. It was definitely a bummer. And it, 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 it did feel like the close of a chapter so much so that I definitely was like, you know what, maybe this is a good point to like move on from this and just kind of like, and I struggled with that for a while because there's, there was this feeling that I still definitely wanted to make music because deep down, I think it's just like what I want to do but I felt this pressure that like I couldn't release music if I wasn't on a label, you know, like it was somehow like less than yeah, less than exactly. Yeah. Embarrassing. I get that impulse and I felt that way about certain things, but I, but it does seem like one of those things, you know, we deal with this a lot in life where when you look back at it, the parameters that you set for yourself feel almost arbitrary. Absolutely. Everything is completely made up and like, it's, it's so, it's like, why would I limit myself? Because that's, it's not like it's coming from anywhere else either. It's like a total like self-imposed thing to feel that way. So in 2020, whatever, like no, nobody is going to judge you harshly for releasing music on SoundCloud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, we, yeah. I think we're, we're really happy to be doing it independently now. And like, you know, a lot of ways it feels like the most kind of, uh, I don't maybe I shouldn't say real, but like, it feels like more of a album rollout than heaven is humming was. And it definitely feels like something that just like the album itself is something that we're all really proud of. So yeah, there's, there's nothing really lost there other than money and a team and all that shit. But I know in the grand scheme of things, band names and project names are kind of arbitrary. Yeah. In this specific case, when there wasn't necessarily that much that survived from the first record, why did the project keep going? Well, I feel like it definitely feels like a continuation. In many ways, I kind of feel like this record takes a lot of stuff that I and we were kind of aiming at aesthetically and lyrically and just like sonically even musical concepts that were like aimed at in the first EPs where there's sort of like this mix of like rock and roll tunes with like synthy kind of more lush lo-fi textures and that's always been sort of a theme i guess throughout but um 
there was all I all even when we were doing Heaven is Humming, I had um, a desire to be less of a grungy band. And I think that was mainly because it was just such a long labor to work on. And like, by the end of it, it was just like, man, I don't want to make this kind of music anymore, you know, but we still love to be loud and play loud shows and all of that. But I think this record and also the EP that we put out earlier this year are sort of like, I feel like a culmination of that desire to try something less grungy and just kind of push things more in that, like not lo-fi, but kind of, I don't know, more introspective boards of Canada influenced, not only synths, you know, but like just vibe, I guess. Um, it's just staying on the note of just completely arbitrary music industry things. Right. It, it was interesting that the team you're working with on press kind of labeled it, labeled the band as an art rock band. Cause I'm trying to, uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out like exactly what that means. And if, and if that, makes sense to you because like this new album, especially like it just, you know, and I, I mean this in the nicest way possible. It just, it feels like a rock record. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, um, I don't really know where that term came from. I think it's just kind of, you know, like all terms, like you said, there's sort of an element of arbitrariness to it. And I think the, you know, at the end of the day, the point of naming, other than to be able to categorize things in some sense, the point of a genre sometimes is just to get people like interested in like enough to listen to it. Cause like, you know, Goon's new rock record definitely doesn't <laughs> intrigue as quite as much, but yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, it's definitely, it is that it's like a, it's, um, you know, it's a studio record, which is also something we've never done before. I wonder if that's like an artifact of the first record, because there, there's a certain sense in which if you're kind of learning the ropes in real time and, and figuring out how to be a band and how to, how to make a record, it's just going to be less accessible. Like that, that's, there's no way around it. Yeah. Like if you're as, as opposed to like knowing what you're doing in the studio or something like that. I know it's kind of a bad word in certain circles and I get it, but this is, this is an accessible record in the way the first one isn't. That was on purpose for sure. We definitely like, I felt less of a need to like be um, so, you know, like bombastically putting forth this, like all these disparate, it's almost like, it's almost like heaven is humming. Like, we almost wanted it to be kind of pretentious and like give people whiplash. And it's like, Oh, there's tracks like snow quality, which is like, so, light and airy and has you know it's like elliot smith song or whatever is that an intentional twin peaks reference uh, yeah i actually didn't know that that's where they filmed it when i first named it that i learned of the place when we were on tour back then we were, went on this tour with this really great band called young jesus and we canceled a show mid-tour because it was January 2017, actually. And there was like one of the worst snowstorms ever on the West Coast or something. So the one show that we canceled, we would have driven through Snoqualmie to go there. And so like seeing that name on a map, I was like, wow, that's a crazy name for a place. It's so cool. And so I sort of took it as like a metaphor for like my ending relationship at the time um with my ex and like 
this and sort of represented this like place that you don't ever go, but you hear about. And then I later learned that it's like this hauntingly beautiful place where Twin Peaks was filmed. It's like, wow, that's, that's cool too. <laughs> Take that. It's one of those nice coincidences. And, and the reason why I made that, you know, the Twin Peaks reference is because you're saying it was light and airy and that's the musical aesthetic I think of when I think of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yeah. There's less like baritone guitar with the uh, chorus on it or whatever, but it, it's, it's definitely light and airy and it has that kind of haunted Pacific Northwest vibe. There was a more of an attempt to make like a cohesive record this time around and and yeah less of a desire to like you know make like i don't know i wanted it to be very welcoming and that felt like a very noble goal or something i mean it's again especially when it feels like the world is falling apart around you yeah exactly yeah is that cohesion is that thematic too i mean you know i've read and heard you talk about the record and there's there's a lot of reoccurring motifs i think suburbia being the main one definitely I think a hallmark of the lyrics on heaven is humming is that there is kind of, and and just the EPs before it as well. There's sort of like a stream of consciousness, lyrical thing going on that I was more interested in back then. And I still enjoy that now, but I, yeah, I tried very hard to um, come up with some stuff, sort of study it and like work on it and like really get into it um, in a way that, hopefully I was able to like, or my hope was to discover what like themes were sort of coming out naturally. And then after sort of figuring that out to sort of like seize on it and pursue it more intentionally without being too heavy handed, but also being like hopefully clear and trying to like play with that tension. Yeah. Another, I guess, you know, aspect of it being a pandemic record was, being able to have all that time to do that. Specifically, I guess, to you and, and again, thematically on the record, what does suburbia represent? You're out there in LA. I'm, you know, I'm in New York. Yeah. And, and for me, New York has been, for a lot of reasons, a hard place to ride out the pandemic, you know, to be sort of stuck in my apartment here. And so when I think of it, especially in the context of the last two years, there is a, there's sort of like a sprawl and a space that I don't really get in the urban environment. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, I was thinking a lot about the kind of, um, there's like a nostalgic element to the suburbs for me. And I guess probably, you know, most people who grew up there. Um, but I was like, not necessarily like missing it. I was just kind of like, I just get so sucked into that nostalgia. And I think I, you know, I'm very guilty of using nostalgia as just like an escape. Um, and uh, I don't know, but I think it's a, yeah, it's like a, it's an interesting thing to grow up in the suburbs. And it's, there's sort of like a, I don't know, the, the sameness, but different of all the houses and everything is so, it's nostalgic, but then it's also like, you know, you get enough distance from it and you realize how like kind of there's like this weird melancholy to it that everything's like copied and pasted like that. And it's like, so, you know, nice quote unquote or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't really know what the obsession is there. I guess I just kind of 
it felt, you know, like a, a good thing to write about. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that makes nostalgia dangerous isn't really the right word, but I guess one of the sort of problematic things about nostalgia is we forget why we left that thing in the first place. And we forget all the things that we didn't like about it. And there, there's a reason right. why you ended up in LA and I ended up in New York. And, you know, I grew up in the suburban East Bay and I, I couldn't wait to get out of there. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely right. And I, I think maybe the nostalgia, like the aspect of nostalgia that I think keeps me coming back maybe is like, it's like the like some obsession with like I don't know like the passing of time and like yeah because you're you're right there's like totally you know like there's a reason why I left and that's definitely not the, those aren't the things that are on the forefront of my mind when I'm like being nostalgic about it um, so it's like worth remembering and trying to just like ground yourself as much as possible in like the present and like. You know, and that that is actually a theme on the record as well. <laughs> I think it kind of is more or most apparent in the song Ochre, which is like about just like trying to be mindful and present um, and kind of battling the anxiety that can come from just like overindulging in nostalgia or whatever. Are you a meditator? Not like... Not technically, but um, yeah. Are you? I love this question because <laughs> I ask it like fairly regularly, and it's interesting. Like I meditate, and you know, I go, yeah. I go in and out of it, and there are times in my life when it's easier to do than others. Whether it's like just having the time to do it, or that the anxiety is too high that I can't possibly just sit in silence for a while. But right, the answers that I really appreciated are the people who essentially say, yes, I meditate, but it's an entirely different version of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I like, I honestly, I feel most present and sort of mindful when I'm either painting or playing music. And, you know, hope that doesn't sound too like, you know, I don't, whatever, but it's true. Cause you know, for music, it's like grounded in like music doesn't exist without passing of time and present moment. Um, so sometimes I try to really like focus on that, how like it does have a sense of form and structure, but only through the passage of time. And so like it can only kind of exist in the moment or in the immediately preceding or about to happen moment or something. You know, I'm basing this on 38 minutes that we've been talking, uh, <laughs> but also like, re again, reading some of the, you know, the interviews that you've done, I, you know, I suspect that you're like me from the standpoint of sometimes being extremely difficult to not live in your own head. And, you know, like, the, and, and that's, that's where anxiety comes in. And that's where, where depression comes in. That's, that's when it becomes really difficult to be in the moment because, you know, you're projecting down the road or you're thinking of like past slights or, or things like that. Yeah. When it comes to making art, how do you get out of your own head? Well, I feel like sometimes, well, making different kinds of art kind of like have different answers to that question. And 
at least for me, where like writing lyrics sometimes feels like going more into my head as a way of like, I don't know, sort of like exercising demons or something like on my own. It's like a way of like working through things that it almost feels like once I'm able to get it out onto a page, it, it somehow has less power over me or something. So I feel like that sort of is how it works for me lyric wise. But then for like painting, it's kind of like you're just in the moment focused on like shapes and forms and the relationships of different colors and shapes and forms and value as well. Um, And like something about that, like that it's basically just playing around with shapes and colors is like, but the fact that like it's, it is, it's that, but then you're also putting in like a pretty intense amount of work and time into just playing around with shapes and colors. It like, it just feels so serious and meaningful kind of in the moment. And not that it means it's more meaningful than like anything else necessarily, or that like what you're making is going to be of any worth. It's just so life giving, I think to like focus on something that you could pretty easily call trivial, you know, like shapes and colors for, you know, eight hours or whatever. It's like, all right, come on, you know, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's something about that. It's just so fun and exciting and it always helps me get out of my head. I'm going to make a really big leap here and I need you to kind of come along Let's with do me it. on this. I'm, I'm with you. As you were describing the Snoqualmie song, and I think this pertains probably to a lot of what you do lyric wise, it's really, it's important to find the right metaphor to hang the song on. Yeah. And there's a, there, there's a lot of metaphor on this record. For sure. Is there a way in which abstraction and painting serves a similar function? Ooh. And the, the function of metaphor. I think I get you that, that like a song needs some kind of anchor, either thematically or like a metaphor. Even more than that, that, that there are some things that for whatever reason you can't or don't want to say directly. Oh, yeah. And that metaphor, this is a way that songwriting or poetry can be effective. And this is a way that paintings can be effective in that by finding the right symbol, by finding the right abstraction, by finding the right metaphor, that that thing can almost be truer than you're capable of saying directly. Yes, absolutely. 100%. I think that it's, you know, you, it does require a little bit of like, you sort of have to like suspend, like as the, as the listener or viewer of something, you have to like acknowledge that like, maybe I'm like missing this a little bit, but I think it's, but like, I, I guess what I'm, I think I like, what it makes me think of is how like, I can like paint a landscape and like essentially have it mean like, like I wish I wasn't depressed anymore or something like, but like, it's just a landscape of some trees and like a red ladder or, you know what I mean? And it's like, how can that mean that? And how would I ever expect anyone to know that? But like, that was very much like the intent put in behind it, you know? Um, And among other things, but like I, to me, like, yeah, I think images and songs can definitely mean so much more than what they say. And I, um, 
I think that's like, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's really important to be able to, that, that, to me, that's kind of like the, one of the more exciting parts about music and painting is like beyond form and beyond tunings and production styles and all this. It's like, it culminates to like say something. And of course in the lyrics, you're able to like very much say things, but like, you know, what happens when, I don't know, like on wavy maze, we put together like a lyrical idea that combines Zelda and the sound of people's voices getting quieter in the snow you know, far away. <laughs> like some allow me to kind of coin a phrase here, but it's the, yeah, I think it's the alchemy of juxtaposition. Hell yeah. <laughs> it is. It for sure is, you know, like it's kind of like, um, honestly the, uh, it, he is not very present this time around, but there was this like goon, like monster kind of robot demon figure, whatever. I don't know. It's like, he's on the cover of like a, like a mascot. Exactly. On the cover of the dusk of punk EP, as well as the heaven is humming record. And that symbol, it was really inspired by Stanley Donwood and the kid a bear logo that he came up with for kid a and like how it's like this very aggressive, sinister, scary looking, simple image that feels so like inhuman and scary. It's got the fangs. Yeah, those fangs. And it's like, it's like a perfect circle that kind of has like Mickey Mouse ears and then like two perfectly circular eyes with like lines going down the center of each eye. So they sort of look like cat eyes and then just like super like zigzag across the bottom half of the circle to create these like sharp teeth. It's so menacing, yet it's paired with Kid A, which like, yeah, is a dark record, but like, it's not like, I always thought that juxtaposition was like, so fascinating, because you would almost expect to see that logo for like, like a black metal band or something, you know, or maybe not, but you know what I'm saying? Like, and so I, I kind of I always loved, I basically tried to steal that with the goon bot guy. I think it even goes deeper than that. I had to look it up to double check, you know, that it yeah. was what I remembered in my mind, where I think there's an inherent juxtaposition of making what is like effectively a teddy bear character. One of the most innocent right. things we, we in life, this, again, as you said, this sort of like menacing figure. Yeah, like a safe, cozy thing. Like, you know, you're presumably your first inanimate object that you like have a real relationship with. And then it becomes this like, you know, sinister thing, which I feel like we focus less on that which is sinister but there is a there is an emphasis on darker mental states and stuff like that and um i felt that like the artwork of like the red ladder in a landscape to me kind of has a similar juxtaposition that is like for as you kind of said earlier like a somewhat straightforward rock album but with like a symbol or like this painting that is kind of, at least in my mind is not, they don't necessarily go together at first. Like now they're inseparable in my mind, but like they, there seems in my, like 
perception of it. There's kind of this relationship between the music and the art that is um, important. You strike me as somebody, whether it's an interview or whether your press people come to you and say, hey, you know, we need some like quotes for this, for this PR, like, you know, can you sort of talk (laughs) about songs? Musicians especially, but probably painters too. I Granted, I speak to fewer painters, but there's a hesitancy that I understand when it comes to not wanting to explain the meaning behind things. Yeah. It sounds like you don't really have much of that, that you're really kind of willing to to tell people where you're coming from. Yeah, I I think uh yeah, I I don't know. I feel like um people people are open of course to like I will gladly accept anyone else's interpretation of things, but I've never felt very satisfied with like those kinds of answers <laughs> where people are like what was the inspiration behind the song? And of course, sometimes it is just like I don't know, I just wrote it. Like what do you think it means? And like, if that is what it is, like, that's cool too. Fine. But I don't know. I, I, I also feel like I'm a huge fan of boards of Canada and their whole aesthetic of being very secretive about all their methods and everything. And not that they're trying to be like dicks about it. I think they just are reclusive people or whatever, but very probably normal people. But I, I've always felt like if someone wants to know something, like I'm more than happy to like, you know, at least tell my perspective of it. And um, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm informing too much. I don't know. I think the fear. Yeah. This is sometimes true, but not always. But the fear is that maybe some of the magic goes away when you talk about sure. it. But. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I remember like Van Gogh always was like a huge, huge, like he, like thought that like that you should know as much as you can about the artist. The man painted an incredible <laughs> number of self portraits. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, you know, by knowing more about him, we're even more able to appreciate the like incredible genius of his work. And, you know, that's not, you know, it's true of so many artists. And so I, I subscribe to that wholeheartedly. Was Van Gogh the like a, an original influencer in that like he was always <laughs> taking selfies? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess not the, not from the standpoint of like not of actually being recognized during your lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was in it for the long game, the real long game. But in the end, I mean, that's it's kind of fucked up to say, but I mean, in the end that's isn't that kind of part of the appeal too. Yeah. Of knowing that it was somebody who got really dark and and had a lot of struggles but was still capable of making incredibly beautiful art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was so, like, obsessed with this idea of creating paintings that could, like, redeem people from the darkest points of their life. And, like, it, yeah, it's, like, it's it's really crazy how that just happened, you know? It's, like, truly, uh, I don't know, one of the greater things, I suppose. Or uh, it's, like, one of the greatest tragedies, but also gifts in a way i think people want to be ahead of their time until they figure out like what that really means on a pragmatic level yeah yeah it's very lonely 